Professors FM. Hey everyone, welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast. Mike Lewis, Doug Battle, brought to you from Emory University's Goyce Weta School of Business. Okay, Doug, so there's a couple things I want to talk about, focus the show on this week. This notion of ideological capture, I think, is about the best terminology for it. And then I want to sort of just talk about kind of the strangeness of connections and sort of how you go from, you know, some of the firings that have occurred, some of the changes in college football, and how these things tend to build on each other to get really kind of surprising results. But before that, we've had some fun this last few months talking about end zone celebrations, and we've differed on some of them. And I think that's I think that's largely a function of of age, right? As you as you age, I got look, I got bad news for you, dude. As you age, more things start to feel like reruns. It's like, oh, I've seen this. Yeah. So, like, well, the one we split on was the was it the the roller coaster. By uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Roller coaster in the end zone. Okay. Now the problem I think with these celebrations, and look, I will always love going with like was it Ocho Cinco pulling a pen out of his shoe? He did to sign, he, to sign the ball. Yeah, yeah, he wrote the book on touchdown celebrations, yeah. but. The follow-up video from the Ravens game this week was spectacular. And so the Ravens score a touchdown. The player comes in, takes the ball, and mimics a bouquet toss. And Lamar Jackson gives his firm editorial view, his firm judgment on the skit skit act. And so they can't all be winners, Doug. And so this is the problem. It's ever-escalating. And it just inevitably is going to get stupid, right? I think this was not well rehearsed. I think that <laughs> the guy might have had the idea, Zay Flowers, and gone out there and his buddies. like They might have talked it over, but it looks like they didn't really know what they were doing. So I think when you halfway do anything, it never gets the reaction that you want. And we saw that with Lamar Jackson's reaction to it. And so I... I got to say, my roller coaster, Tyreek Hill touchdown, that team, they clearly had practiced. I think they might have practiced the <laughs> celebration more than the play that scored the touchdown that week. It was well executed. It couldn't have had a better performance across the board from the Miami Dolphins on this one. Okay. But, you know, it, look, in some ways it's great, right? So, what if we I didn't do, you. what if we didn't do an extra point field goal? What if the extra point was. <laughs> scored by a scored by judges a panel a panel uh, scoring the touchdown dance i think it would make for a more entertaining product imagine losing the game because the the flower toss by zay flowers just wasn't convincing well, it, it, it's the it's the old school olympics model right where <laughs> oh the, the wisconsin judge is you know hates the bears and, yeah and so they're not gonna i think you gotta have work. like Charles Barkley and Shaq and maybe Robert Gronkowski, just a panel of experts and they go to the booth and, and they're holding up numbers. And if it, if it meets a certain quota or a certain criteria, then they get the extra point. Perhaps. Maybe, right? maybe per- just for like the pro bowl, do that, you know, in the, make it watchable. Like, the pro bowl idea that's inspired. Yeah. You know, as, as when the ratings are still strong, you know, something came up and I'm, I'm just going to guess on this. Something came up in, in the news media this week that I think the NFL had, let's say it was something like 90 of the top 100 rated broadcasts in American television <laughs> oh last gosh. year. I mean, it, it's it's truly astonishing 
how the NFL has elevated itself and everyone has fallen behind. And part of the programming, as you just said, is a bunch of players with, you know, making stuff up on the plane, perhaps on the way out there of like, I got an idea. My name's Flowers. I'll throw some flowers. It'll be beautiful. Yeah, I think the Jalen Waddle like name play works. I don't know if Flowers did it quite right. Again, I don't know that they get the extra point on that one, <laughs> especially not when their quarterback is <laughs> he was unhappy the biggest, with the effort. Big, biggest critic. Biggest critic. Now, of course, the great thing is that uh, Lamar made the whole thing go viral. His reaction, so they won at the end of the day as well. <laughs> Yeah, the, okay, Ra- the Ravens are the Todd Munkin effect is taken over. I might have said it before the season. I know I did. If if we went back like probably thirty podcasts ago, I said you know watch out, watch out for Lamar Jackson when he's got Todd Munkin calling plays. And I don't know, they might well, do it. They might do it this year. I I don't you know I didn't want to mention this, but you know I think you sent me something where there's a conspiracy theory out there at the moment that the NFL scriptwriters right. are. Giving away who's going to be in the Super Bowl based dead on gi- colors, the dead giveaway, the Super Bowl icon. Yeah, and this year, what was it? It's going to be the Ravens and the 49ers. 49ers yeah. yeah, and I'm trying to think if any other teams would fit. The, like Tampa Bay, I guess, could make it out of the NFC. There's not another purple team, no, no, except the Vikings, Washington. but they're not they're not in this. So for those listening that aren't familiar, in the last I don't know five years. They've announced the Super Bowl logo. It's always it's it's always a gradient between two colors, and the matchup ends up being one team with one color and one team from the other color on the gradient. So this year you've got purple and kind of like a 49ers red on the other side, and so there's. Uh, the theory is that the script has been written and that we're going to see a 49ers versus Ravens Super Bowl, which would fit the script quite well uh, for ESPN these days with the feel-good story of John Harbaugh. And if his brother were to win a Super Bowl in the same year, I have to think the sports oh. media would be all over that one. Well, it's even more than that. I mean, Lamar Jackson has always been a favorite of the sports media and coming off of a, a tough season, yeah, acrimonious contract negotiation becomes the highest paid player in the league, the highest paid quarterback for, you know, at least 15 minutes before the next guy signs. That in taking on San Francisco with Mr. Irrelevant Brock Purdy, I mean, the NFL Which always also, wins. The stories are always the, there. The Niners, but that's it's, that's it's a beautiful. The the Niners, that's Jim Harbaugh's old team. Mm-hmm. So it'd be a little rematch, but we're not there yet, but that's that's yeah. I, I don't know. Keep an eye out. If if it happens, uh, if it happens, it's one of those things I will, where, well, I will start to become a believer in that because <laughs> <laughs> if the logo is like brand consistent with both teams that make it. Uh, okay. So speaking of the media, the NFL ratings, the media, some really kind of interesting. These are actually stories that I don't necessarily want to talk about. I do. But I think, but I think they're incredibly important for the landscape of sports and for the world of sports fandom. And it's like this notion of, ideological capture. And and so, and and both of these stories come out of the Disney company because Disney owns ESPN. But over the last week or 10 days or so, Disney's new Star Wars director has audio surfaced of her talking about how she likes to make men uncomfortable 
I mean, Doug, I could start going down a path of, hey, Doug, I'm going to start, I'm going to direct the next Barbie movie. And the great thing is I love to make women uncomfortable, right? And it's, <laughs> right, it's a joke you can't even tell, right? Uh, okay, so, and then, you know, last week or a few days ago, and there, there's still a bunch of articles coming out about this. Pat McAfee went off on an ESPN executive for sabotaging the Pat McAfee show. And like I said, you know, politics intrudes on this stuff so frequently, but just the bizarreness of these approaches from a from a business or marketing perspective of you're going to pay for intellectual property and then you're going to, in the case of ESPN, sabotage it by, you know, <laughs> talking about he's got Aaron Rodgers on with conspiracy theories and it's it's kind of bro culture. Or Star Wars of you're going to take the core fan base and the business logic, if there is one, will expand it beyond the core audience. But we're also going to lecture the core audience. <laughs> These practices are, I mean, you're laughing. And I think you should, I think that the issue is they actually just deserve mockery. There is no way to really analyze what's going on here and make a reasoned argument about it. This stuff is so far over the edge that it should just be mocked. I don't think anyone is looking forward to what's going to be produced by Disney in terms of Star Wars. Pat McAfee, you know, as he came in, I didn't know a lot about him. And I think I had some doubts. I love the guy. I think he's the best thing on that network. So, you know, working at odds of your intellectual property and your talent, the Disney company, you got to fix that. Yeah, the Pat McAfee bit, it's a little reminiscent of Joe Rogan with Spotify, where it seemed at one point that Spotify had invested just about everything they could in Joe Rogan's show. And then the next thing you know, it was in question as to whether Joe Rogan was going to be on Spotify and they had to make some decisions. And seems like that's what's happening with Pat McAfee, who clearly has no restraint in calling out his internal haters at ESPN. And I think that the fans love it. I think that it's almost like, I think it fires up the fan base in the same way that we're seeing in politics, where if one politician is accused or called out, their base becomes that much stronger from it. It seems like this is a win where you almost, you almost. Okay, No, was that a Star Wars reference of their base becomes stronger? You can strike me down. But well, I will become stronger. Like everything in life is a Star Wars reference. Okay. Shout out Obi-Wan Kenobi. But yeah, I, I think that it's not unlike in, in politics or in the case of Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> and that the it strengthens the base to the point that if you're the script writer for ESPN, do you want this controversy? This might be good for ESPN to have, you know, people, the, the fans of Pat McAfee uniting and watching that show to stick it to ESPN. They're watching ESPN to stick it to ESPN. Take that, ESPN. Until, because Pat McAfee had a brand and an audience before he went to ESPN. Yeah. He developed that, you know, via social channels and appearing on WWE wrestling matches, all sorts of stuff. Do you want Pat McAfee to take his audience? And his audience is probably portable. A lot of ESPN, oh, yeah. I suspect most of ESPN's audience is not, does not go with the host. Maybe Stephen A. Smith. Yeah, but we've but seen Pat McAfee's like, audience will go to sports, uh, Fox Sports One. Yeah, we've, we've seen Michelle Beadle, Skip Bayless, Shannon Sharp, I think. Like, it seems like 
Aaron Andrews, all these people have gotten bought off by the the competitors, and and it doesn't seem like the fans follow. Pat McAfee is an exception in the same way that Joe Rogan, if he leaves Spotify, if he becomes exclusive with Apple, for example, which I don't see ever happening, the, the you know people are leaving Spotify. That's the bottom line, and. And so he's, I think Pat McAfee knows his worth and that's why he has the power to save things that he does and to call out the people that he does. But I mean, it's interesting because we had Pat McAfee versus ESPN. We had Aaron Rodgers versus Jimmy Kimmel slash Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> and, and we, we've got Star Wars versus their own fans on, well, on a regular forget, basis. Let's not forget that Aaron Rodgers is connected to Pat McAfee. He's on his show, I think, every every Tuesday. Right. So Pat McAfee gets dragged into, it, it goes back to this notion of ideological capture, right? That there are enough people in these organizations that will force everything into politics. I suspect, to be honest with you, that Pat McAfee, you know, he's got some probably political opinions, but I don't think he necessarily wants to be a political bomb thrower. Right. I don't think that's where he wants to get his audience from. I think he wants to sort of be old school. Sports is fun. I'm going to say stuff that's very honest and kind of, you know, maybe sort of cutting edge. But I don't think he there's nothing to indicate to me that he wants to be a political figure and he wants to be against the wokes. Yeah. But he can't help it. No. And I, I think that I think he's a lot like Joe Rogan in the sense that he wants to have people on. He wants people to speak their minds and speak freely, not in a this is a you know, not in any kind of political way, but he just he wants to be a, a launching pad or a platform for all kinds of opinions and to entertain them and to make them into entertainment. I think that's his job, much like it is with Joe Rogan. And so when you do that, you know, you assume the risk in today's culture and today's climate that somebody's going to come on there and have an opinion that doesn't resonate with the owner of the company or with the rest of the media. It's not the perspective that you're supposed to have. And at that point, you're going to come under fire. And I think that he knows that. I think that Joe Rogan knows that. And I think that's part of why they have the bases that they do. I think their audience is like that. I think that they like that there's that unpredictability because in media, it's the most predictable thing in the world, Mike. You, you turn on, you know exactly what the narratives are going to be when it's even when it's not political. Yes, I mean you knew it was going to be Michigan and cheating, but John Harbaugh and all that he's in playing at his alma mater, and these guys lost in the past. So with you know with the Joe Rogan with Pat McAfee, there's no rules. Guys can come on and say what they want to say, and it, it provides a lot of entertainment. A lot of viral moments come from that show. Even going back to last week's conversation about let a naysayer know, again, probably something that isn't said by anybody else on ESPN, but part of one of the only memorable moments from that college game day set. And so, you know, McAfee knows what he's doing, and I I think the controversy works in his favor in the long run. Well, going to this point of he wants to have guests say interesting things, and just to make – you made this point, but just to make it explicit – there are very few sports personalities that are going to say something that isn't essentially a cliche at this point. And Aaron Rodgers and Kyrie Irving <laughs> are going to are going to take it to different 
different places. And Mike, if Aaron Rodgers and Kyrie had a podcast, I think it would be the most listened to podcast in sports. And it would definitely be my most listened to podcast, not because I would agree with them, but because I would find it entertaining. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, you know, as you were talking about it, do you see there's a, the let a naysay a no? Do you see there's a, I don't know how good of an athlete this is, but there's a high school football prospect yes. whose yes. name is Kaniga. Yes. It's spelled K N I G G A. That's one pronunciation of it. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's the one I saw on Instagram. Yeah. No one wants to touch this stuff. <laughs> But it's interesting because it's all over social media. So I don't really have a point here, but just this disconnect. No, I think you do. I think you between, do. Well, but this disconnect between what is going to be talked about on these branded platforms and what people want to talk about on social media, that disconnects really wide. Pat McAfee is trying to take a step to get towards what people want to talk about. It's a great marketing position. Yeah, and so I, I think there is a point there. And you look at ESPN, what they did with they tried to bring on the Barstool guys. Part of my take, they they did one show with ESPN, and I think at two in the morning, and they were never allowed to do another show. But they had they had it was a, a big thing that part of my take was going to be an ESPN show now. And so I think ESPN's been looking for a way to reach those people, the, the people that are on the internet tweeting like crazy making memes out of that athlete that prospect that you mentioned whose name i'm not going to even try to pronounce and and mcafee has a way of i think he's more i think mcafee's more delicate than people give him credit for because he brings in that crowd and he makes that crowd feel like you know there's there's no restrictions but they're not crossing any lines he doesn't touch the wire yeah. Right. He doesn't touch the the live wire. Now I will say this because some of the stuff you say, I mean, because you're you're saying ESPN wants to get that audience, and I maintain that a lot of people at ESPN, a lot of people at Star Wars, do not want those audiences. Oh, I think that's uh, what at Disney do I, not want those audiences, and, and I see this in academia all the time. Again, getting close to touching that live <laughs> yeah, wire, right? Right there. <laughs> that they do not want. These they do not want these audiences. They want to correct or lecture to these audiences. Yeah, which is not gonna. Uh, you're not gonna have those audiences <laughs> when you lecture them. I mean, I guess with like Star Wars, for example, they still still have them, but it's hanging on by a thread. But I mean, I okay, Lord of the Rings. I mean, we see, we see this play out everywhere, right? They, they pretty much lost everyone. Lord of the yeah. Rings. Yeah, I don't know anyone that watches that beautiful show visually. Tough to watch. Tough to watch. Tough to watch. It was a chore. We tried. We tried. I didn't make it through. I didn't. I I will. I will watch every episode they put on (laughs) as much as I dislike them. I I will do that. Yeah, that's me with Star Wars. But with me, it's actually I'm not making fun. I like. I'm pulling for them to do what I want them to do, and they're laughing in my face. So that's what they do. Okay. The other least big story for me or interesting topic at the moment is that we are now fully in the season of essentially teams making moves coaches getting fired and so the first guy well I don't know who's the first guy but one of the early firings was uh Arthur Smith fired by Arthur Blank very you know kind of confusing situation Arthur's not a popular name 
based on the Falcons, it, well, it, it, and what what made it really pop was at the end of the game, from victory victory formation, the New Orleans Saints decided to essentially fake out the Falcons, add another touchdown, adding really massive insult to injury. So Smith comes storming across, you know, cusses out the the Saints coach. And again, not thinking about the modern day media environment and how that moment was going to go viral. And so suddenly, you know, it was a disappointing Falcon season. And now on top of it, you've got your coach that you were thinking about firing, cussing out the opposition after a blowout loss. He probably had no, you know, you, you can't damage the brand in the NFL. Cussing and so out, he was gone. Cussing out the op- opposition for being mean and scoring too many points on you. <laughs> Not a good look. Not a, Not good, a look good look when you're fighting for your job. And everyone's response was, that was awesome. That was hilarious. <laughs> and if you want them to not score, have a better team. You're the coach. That was the that was the consensus on the internet. You saw a few people upset and saying, hey, that's unsportsmanlike. And even the coach of the Saints was like, look, I told him not to do it. They did it anyway. You know, what am I to do? But okay. Jameis Winston's a guy that I, I will say I've seen some people saying he should never be allowed to play football again in the NFL. And But most people okay, looked Dad. at it and said, this guy's hilarious. Is this some form of athlete empowerment? Have you ever heard of this? Um, the <laughs> team decided to do it anyways. Is there anyone in the quarterback except Jamez Winston, anyone in the league besides Jamez that would do that? Look, it's the last game of the season. <laughs> this man is on his way out. I think his contract is up. He knows he's got nothing to lose. And I I admire it. I, I have some admiration for that. When I played sixth grade football, I had a I had a team where we practiced like we were the New England Patriots. It was the most serious thing in the world. I was sick of it. I was a kid. I I I didn't love playing football at that age. I wanted to be done. And my my dad knew that. And he at the time there was this commercial for Dr. Pepper. It was a big old guy, and he scores a touchdown and he pops open a Dr. Pepper and he, he chugs it in the end zone after scoring a touchdown. And I kid you not, Mike, I was playing defense, so it weren't high odds of me scoring a touchdown. But my dad, every game, would put a Dr. Pepper behind (laughs) the goalpost because if I scored, I understood as a sixth grader that a 15-yard flag is a 15-yard flag, and I'm going to milk all 15 yards out of that flag. And so I I fully planned on chugging a doctor, taking off my helmet, popping a Dr. Pepper, chugging it, throwing on the ground, running off the field. And so I understand as a, as a former player, as a former sixth grade player, that, you know what, these I'm quitting after the season. These guys have absolutely no power on me. Might as well have some fun. And I think that's what we saw. I saw it a couple of weeks ago. Georgia had a, a guy that, or a couple of players that scored a touchdown and were, and were up by 50 points. And they were they did a choreographed dance in the end zone, like it's the NFL, knowing they're going to get a flag. Knowing the coaches aren't going to be excited about it, but look, season's over, game's a blowout. One of those players ended up transferring anyway, and Jameis Winston had that same attitude. I appreciate it. I grew up playing against Jameis, believe it or not, or I didn't. My brother did. Our our team played against Jameis. I was just two years younger, so I wasn't out there. But yeah, heck of a heck of a athlete for little league and and all the way up, and knows how to draw some controversy to himself. Has a knack for that. Okay. So 
coaching changes will now be the hot topic through, you know, the, the playoffs will delay some of it, but the coaching carousel has already started. To me, the most interesting one, because it has it has the ability to connect a bunch of things that I've talked about a lot that I'm fascinated by, is Jim Harbaugh potentially leaving Michigan. And the starting point is, in some ways, the notion is even crazy, right? This, this guy has just won a national championship. He is at a one of the premier blue blood programs in college sports. He should be able to stay there for the next 20 years, 15 years, making what? $10 million a year and essentially riding it out with just having to beat Ohio State 50% of the time. <laughs> But and you because failed to mention it's his alma mater as well. His so alma mater. Very similar situation to Kirby Smart, on paper at least. Okay. Harbaugh has had a lot of trouble with the NCAA. We still don't even know how the NCAA, what the NCAA is. The NCAA has thrown the gates open with NIL and boosters, you know, funnel money, whatever you want to do. Transfer four or five times, perhaps. Play eight years because of COVID. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because of COVID years. <laughs> You know, you got 25-year-old quarterbacks in college making more than NFL quarterbacks. They've created this level of disruption that I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of these big-name coaches kind of want to get out. They want to be done with it because this is just this is just chaos. So if Harbaugh does decide to leave, well, you know who really wants him? Another one of his alma maters, and that's the Chicago Bears. Okay, so Harbaugh to the Bears. That's intriguing, isn't it? I've heard a lot of Harbaugh discussion in terms of the Bears, the Patriots, the Atlanta Falcons. It seems like his name pops up with every opening. Okay, let me ask you some questions on each of those. Is Harbaugh going to the Falcons? No. <laughs> okay. Okay. You know, if, if you had a choice between going to the Falcons or – you know, because there's been some discussion too that Tomlin might step away from the Steelers. Yeah, Steelers have had two coaches in the last 35 years since I think 1992, so 30, 31 years. The Bears have a new coach every three years, I think. Right since the '85 team. Right, <laughs> right. Okay, okay, so so you know, past actions, the Falcons' reputation, the Falcons' brand. Probably suggest Harbaugh's not going to go there. Okay, so let's say Harbaugh's thinking about going to the Bears. Okay, you're Jim Harbaugh. Okay, first off, the Bears going to fire their co- their coach that's been there for two years. One of them a rebuilding year. Also, they got a quarterback dilemma. Okay, and that's my next question to you. Okay, if you're Jim Harbaugh, do you want – what do you want to do if the Bears come come talking to you? Are you about to say, you know what? You got to move Fields out of there. I want you to draft Caleb Williams or whoever. And again, you know, and the craziness of all this is Williams even coming out. Maybe he is coming out if Harbaugh takes the Bears' job, and, and things look a little bit more promising there. But if you're Harbaugh, what do you want to do about Justin Fields? I, I think it's an interesting <laughs> dilemma either way because I, I've heard it said that Fields and Caleb Williams have a lot of the same strengths and a lot of the same weaknesses. So if you're the Bears, do you want to start over with potentially another Justin Fields after going through Justin Fields' growing pains for three years and, and go through it again, put your fan base through that again in hopes that this time something clicks? 
Fields had some games this year where people were starting to feel like, okay, he's turning a corner and, you know, didn't sustain that success. I still think there's a lot of people that believe in him. Uh, I still think there's a lot of people that don't. And he's he's maintained his controversy in the NFL that he had in college where it, never unanimous decision, never an agreed upon player. And Okay, Doug, let me interject because I've been pretty negative towards field statistically. I've been looking at the numbers. Fields had quite a bit of improvement. I know. If you look at some of the if you look at some of the numbers this year, uh, you know, I think Trevor Lawrence took a step back. Yep. Fields took a step forward. And so if the issue was processing speed, then perhaps just the number of reps, you know, it just keeps building and building, and muscle memory kicks in. So I don't know that you you know, some of the negative things I've said about Fields, which were entirely based on data, I'm actually fairly positive about Fields. Now, let me add one more thing to you. If you trade the first pick, because the Panthers are in worse shape than the Bears, let's say you get two number one or three number one picks for that. So you get a linebacker, a guard, a cornerback. What's Fields' trade value in all this? I think the <sighs> He's a tough one. I don't know if anyone's given up a first rounder for Justin Fields. I don't think anyone is. I Which think you're is looking at a third rounder. Kind of nuts because Justin fourth year Justin Fields for a third round pick feels like a steal. Like just sheer ability, and mm-hmm. I mean it feels like a buy low so high kind of thing where it's like okay this is like clearly a lot of value that I'm getting for not that much. I could you know have them play well in my system and flip them if I wanted to in a year and get a number one, you know, get a first round pick or a second round pick. So he, I mean, that's, that's a tough one. His trade value is tough to pinpoint. It's going to be better than Josh Rosen, right? And it's going to be not as good as Bryce Young last year, even though, okay. I don't know. I still, even last year with the Bryce Young debate, I was like, I'd probably rather have fields than Bryce Young. I think he's a better okay. pro prospect. Now, the other thing that comes into this, Caleb Williams is cost-controlled, right? Yeah. Three years of the rookie deal and then you know starting getting into options where the field's salary is going to start to ramp up. Yeah, that's the tough okay, part. Okay, so cost-controlled versus fields and a couple more first-round picks. I well, you, you don't want to end up in that Daniel Jones situation where you're not quite <laughs> sure about a guy – but you are in a position where you're like, we don't want to start over. You know, he's at a point in his career where he's going to demand, the market's going to demand that we overpay him and we will. And then find out, oh, maybe we shouldn't have done that. Now we're locked in for the next X amount of years. I could, I mean, I think that's what the Bears have to be careful about. And I think that's why they would strongly consider just moving him now to avoid that. Cause they might feel, they might not feel like, you know, he's a terrible or he's not a starting NFL quarterback, but is he our starting quarterback? Is this the guy we feel like we can build Super Bowl teams around? And if he's not, why give up the opportunity to take a guy that we feel m- might be that guy? And uh, I personally, I'm not that high on Caleb Williams as far as his leadership. Uh, obviously, a lot of sheer talent, which again is kind of similar to Fields. I, I actually think Caleb Williams is a little bit more. He's a little bit more controversial in terms of his behavior. His, you know, painting his fingernails with f you, you know f the other team for all of his college games, and I, I don't know, I crying after the game. Like he's a pretty dramatic guy, 
And so, whereas Fields, a drama's kind of followed him, but it's a pretty soft-spoken guy. So they're similar and different all, all at the same time. But I think the Bears have to make a decision. Do we think this guy can lead us to Super Bowls with Fields? And then do we think Caleb Williams can? And, and if the answer is yes to either one of those, then you ride, you ride with that guy. Well, you know, the Bears have. But then a- Jim Harbaugh might say, no, I'm not playing with an Ohio State quarterback. <laughs> you guys, we're taking, uh, we're taking our guy from this year. We're, we're, we're building a Michigan NFL team. Is there, you know, potentially you could do that, right? Yeah. You, you trade that first pick. One of the picks you get, you take JJ McCarthy <laughs> as a developmental prospect late in the first, late in the first round, and, and so JJ McCarthy. I mean, this is where and when people gets- say he wasn't that good in college. Say, hey, Tom Brady wasn't that good in college, and <laughs> and he's from Michigan too. That's his. That's this his player where gets- comparison. I mean, the layers to this stuff, and we haven't even talked about it. Caleb Williams still has eligibility left. And he's making a lot of money. He doesn't have to go to the NFL. He could probably, if he gets the cover of that NCAA video game, which was hilariously not advertised last night after the rumor circulated that it would, and a bunch of people tuned into the game just to watch the ad that never happened. If he gets the cover of that, if he keeps the Dr. Pepper thing up, he, I mean, he he probably could make, I imagine knowing, you know, USC would double down. And if they didn't, some other school, can you imagine? Mike, if Michigan says, you know, our quarterback just went, just, you know, went to, he just graduated. Let's pony up. Let's try to repeat. Let's bring in Caleb Williams. Let's, let's put up or Texas or Texas A&M. I just could see someone doing it. I could see him getting paid more to be in a good college situation than to be in a really bad NFL situation and taking it. Was the Texas quarterback a senior? Ewers, no, but he has the option to go pro. And I don't know that okay. he's declared yet, but there's. So, can you imagine a situation where the Texas quarterback room? Te- I mean, like, I don't think it's going to happen, right? Arch Manning. I think I still right. think Arch ends up transferring. You can have a ten million dollar, fifteen million dollar quarterback room in college, which would be fantastic in terms of watching. You know, the most expensive quarterback room in college football. I wish we could actually find numbers on that because that would be a fascinating looking thing. It would be even funnier if they had a really bad offensive line. (laughs) It's like they have a salary cap and they they spend it on like three all-pro quarterbacks and don't have a defense, (laughs) which is basically USC, by the way. Okay, but you know, this whole conversation. So if you're Harbaugh, NCAA, NCAA sanctions looming. College football, a little bit of a dumpster fire with transfers and and NIL versus going to the pros and suddenly it's this massive game of chess that's also related to the dumpster fire that is the NFL where potentially you may have guys staying in school because they're gonna out they're gonna out make the, the they're gonna make more money through NIL than through rookie deals. Harbaugh probably see something like this and one of his demands is probably something like he's either the general manager as well or gets to pick the general manager so it's this is going to be a, a great one to watch I mean we're going to have a lot of really fun stuff on the coaching carousel Belichick is rumored to potentially be stepping away well there's uh, rumors about Nick Saban and there have been since during the season Tomlin Belichick Harbaugh 
Saban. And, and then there's be- a lot of speculation about top college coaches going to the NFL, which I do think, I don't know if it happens this year. I do think the day is coming when we see a mass exodus because it is insane what their jobs have become in terms of their the de facto agent, general manager, and coach of you know kind of CEO coach, but also on player on on field coach. So these guys are you know they're ma- they're trying to figure out what to do with like NIL and uh, trying to figure out the transfer portal, and then they recruit guys every year. But the next year they got to recruit those same guys to stay, and and you got players making announcements about staying at the same school as if they've chose, you know, as if it's their original college recruitment every single year doing the graphics, posting videos. I mean, it's, it's very dramatic. I, I, I would fully understand anybody wanting to get out of that situation because of how out of control it is, how even if you're a competitor to Michigan, watching them feeling like they cheated you and, and then seeing them win a championship with, you know, a little slap on the wrist, you know, I, I don't know how attractive, college coaching is going to be for the premier coaches moving forward. And I, I wouldn't be shocked to see guys like Harbaugh go to the NFL. And there's, it's felt ridiculous as a Georgia guy where people have said, what if Kirby smart goes to the Falcons? What if Kirby, you know, what has been going on all off season, but on the flip side of that, I'm like, man, I probably would. So, you know, I think it's, I think it's all fair game, but I think that I, I expect a mass exodus at some point. We'll see when it happens, but I think that might be the next, you know, we have we've had the transfer portal, we've had the expansion, we set, had realignment, and now we might have a little bit of a coaching exodus at some point. With guys moving on up to the NFL, taking a little bit more chill of a lifestyle, and college might be where you pay your dues <laughs> moving forward. Okay, that's interesting. The idea that the NFL is the chill lifestyle, but the college game, the NCAA maybe maybe the NCAA isn't creating it. But by throwing up their hands and saying, we're not going to regulate anything, they are creating a level of chaos. You know, you mentioned Kirby Smart. That deal with the kid, the the top-ranked quarterback, who flipped to potentially a big-money deal at Nilbraska, NIL-Braska. Look, I I know these coaches would say, well, this is big boy SEC recruiting, Big Ten recruiting. But it feels different now it feels like this is just entirely a free market and look i maybe this is i mean it's a big deal for the college football coaches but i can't even imagine investing in recruiting players at the college basketball level where i look at the program i root for illinois and i i know georgia was maybe even worse the last few years with tom green yeah you are you were recruiting kids for years and you were probably are you losing 75% of your players through transfers in the first couple of years? Well, if you get a good one, they're gone after a year. Yeah. So you just spent three years recruiting you know, Anthony Edwards or you know, whoever, mm-hmm. and they're gone. And then, yeah, I mean, I, I just think with college sports, having to recruit the players that are on your team on an ongoing basis is absurd because you've got to pander. The analogy, is, you've gotta, the analogy is if there were only one-year contracts in professional sports. Exactly, and, and so no salary cap. Was continu- no salary cap, and everything was continually open to negotiation. 
no salary cap, and there's always some other team that's willing to overpay. Always. There's always going to be a team that will pay a million dollars for your number three receiver if you're Alabama or if you're Georgia, <laughs> if you're Ohio State. And it's like, yeah, no, we can't do that. That doesn't make sense. But then you've got this constant turnover. And I don't know. It's chaos. What I'm excited for is the EA Sports NCAA video game that was supposed to be advertised yesterday and was not, but is coming next year. And okay. I'm going to navigate the portal with ease on there. I'm going to keep my guys. I'm going to I'm gonna actually pull off the three-peat. So I'm looking forward to that. Okay, I can't quite relate. That is, I mean, I used to, we used to play. Mike, you can win one. Play, you can put Illinois into the playoff, man. Doug, we used to play Madden on the Sega system in the early 90s. It's past. I don't, yeah, I'm I don't think this one's coming out on Sega. <laughs> okay. Last thing I want to mention today. Tiger Woods is parting ways with Nike. Michael Jordan is the exemplar of sports marketing, uh, endorsement deals, sponsorships, partnerships, whatever you want to call them. I, I'll conjecture that at least in the U.S. market, I don't know what Cristiano Ronaldo or Messi has globally, that Tiger Woods is number two. And I'm not sure that, you know, maybe some of the folks might say Serena or LeBron. I don't think it's even close. So Jordan, Tiger Woods in terms of the pantheon of sports marketing, you know, the most impactful deals, the highest profile deals. Now, I don't really, you know, I, I don't know. It, it, it's golf, so it's a little bit out of my wheelhouse, Doug. Do you have a sense of what this does to golf fans out there? Nike golf fans? No, but it is. He's one of the few athletes that where his brand is almost synonymous with Nike or, with, you know, with another brand where it's it, like Jordan. It, it's It's hard to imagine tiger even without the nike swoosh on his hat or on his polo and so it's like what is he gonna wear is he gonna make his own you know he's gonna wear brady brand like is he gonna make his own brand that's what i would imagine would be the next step here but as far as what it means for golf i don't know golf has had a weird couple of years with live golf and uh, maybe not having uh, the premier star that they had in the past with Tiger Woods, even Phil Mickelson. It's like kind of the NBA if they were post-LeBron, like when LeBron's done. It's like, okay, you got a bunch of guys that are really good, but not a lot of brands that are really big. And I think and Tiger Woods, that kind of partnership has been the synonymous brand where like Tiger's – advertising nike but nike's advertising tiger just as much and well, so me, who, who fills those shoes the thing that's special about this you can almost imagine to make an analogy if jordan was still playing right and and averaging six points a game <laughs> all right but the nba's ratings always went up by 150 percent whenever they showed jordan even though he was the you know the the twelfth man on the Detroit Pistons, because that's what happens with with Tiger. If Tiger is competitive in a tournament, the ratings soar. Suddenly, golf is the center of the universe. Oh yeah, they have other stars, but I don't think in terms of and, and this comes up in a lot of sports these days as sports has become more fragmented. Tiger is still the global golf star outside of golf aficionados and golf hardcore fans. No one knows anyone, but everyone knows Tiger. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And 
you know, it brings to mind a lot of things like how do you build a star that big? You know, a lot of it's storytelling. A lot of it, it, people feel like they know Tiger Woods. They knew him since he was a kid. You know, they know how he became great and what it took and what it looked like. And yeah, there was controversy in there and there was, but it's a story that we've all followed for a long time with Rory McIlroy, <laughs> Bubba Watson. Like, I'm just naming like golfers that I, whose names are familiar with people. I don't know that there's a story associated with them. And so I, I think it's a lot harder to build that level of fandom, that level of stardom and, and branding. And so, you know, Tiger Woods and Nike, I think there's a lot more attention being paid to this story than whoever's the best golfer in the world right now. And I don't even know who that is. <laughs> so so clearly, at least for, for people at our level, I mean, again, it's different for the hardcore golf fans. But for the public, it's a lot like boxing, you know, where it's it, there's going to be more attention when uh, – Mike Tyson does a amateur event than when whoever today's heavyweight champion is, you know, in a, in a match with someone. You could argue that Mike Tyson fighting Tyson Fury would be the biggest pay-per-view event of the year. Um, Tyson fighting one of the Paul brothers. Yeah. Uh, and like, where and, do those guys rank relative to the top boxers right now? You know, well, like it's well, not even close, yeah. I'm sure. But I'm talking, I mean, it, it's a strange phenomena in a lot of sports, right? If you ask people in the general public to name a baseball player, a hockey player, you're very likely to get a guy that's been retired for a long time, yeah. a boxer, a, a guy that's retired or a, a golfer, a tenant that, that is no longer competitive. Like, and, oh, and so this, Barry Bonds, yeah. <laughs> Sammy Sosa. Yeah. <laughs> this, this, it is the challenge of sports in terms of like creating that next, next generation of stars. Now, Nike has been really kind of critical in all that. I think Nike has created some of the biggest stars. Like, I'm not convinced that Serena Williams would really be a household name if she wasn't partnered with, with Nike, right? So the way you said it, that, you know, Tiger advertises Nike, but Nike also advertises Tiger. I think there's a lot, a lot of truth to that. Yeah. And it, I don't know. It's like every generation feels like, you know, the music now isn't what it used to be. It's not as good as it used to be. The movies, they don't make good movies anymore. We used to have a good movie every week, (laughs) every Friday we'd go to the theater and there'd be a good movie. And it feels like that was sports stars, but it feels like there's like, Maybe I'm just being an old man, but it, it feels like there's something to it that like there's something different now. We don't have stars like we used to. Like LeBron James might be the last mega star that I like. It's like in the NBA, it's like yeah, Jokic. I mean, Jokic is like one of the best players ever. He's awesome. There's a lot of awesome Giannis. You know, there's a lot of awesome players. And maybe it's because we don't know what to do with the the foreign guys. NFL, it doesn't feel like there's a Tom Brady or even a Peyton Manning. It's like there's a lot of really good quarterbacks that are, but where's the timeless guy that's going to be talked about for a hundred years? I guess Patrick Mahomes, but he doesn't, something doesn't feel right with him. And I don't know. It's like, where's Michael Jackson? You know, where's the pops, the mega pop star that's, you know, I guess Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Taylor yeah. Swift. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess we have our, parallels but it's there's something different there's not as much we just don't have we don't have as many though i mean it it used to be that we had an iconic figure in everything right we had an iconic golfer we had iconic an iconic tennis player iconic baseball players and now that is really something that is also it's it's slipping away we have less famous talented people 
like less people where everyone knows who they are because they're amazing what they do and we also have more famous people that are like what are they famous for like oh they make little eight second videos on the internet that are you know take eight seconds to make or they wear skimpy clothes or they you know they they post like silly video you know there's just there's a lot of that i think that's drawn a lot of the attention and there's all these kind of like micro celebrities which i guess that that would technically be an influencer but more of that than ever before i don't think that you had that at all back in when we're talking barry bond sammy Sosa. we didn't have oh there's this girl from my hometown that you know everyone knows who she is because of the internet it's curation by <laughs> algorithms right it's yeah. curation by algorithms rather than curation by media yeah it's, it's just sort of the so maybe that's the, the maybe that's state. eating so much of the just bandwidth you know there's only so much it's like the pie hasn't gotten bigger and, and that more pieces of the pie are just these kind of micro stars um and, and there's less room for the mega stars yeah. okay well and i'm gonna wrap it here because this is this is actually an important conversation because it has a lot of implications for where sports is going to go yeah it's related to the way things have fragmented but we'll save that for another day. So, you know, as usual, as always, more content at fandomanalytics.com. Thank you.